this week on the reverse stick, the cream rises in the finance. Oh, This week on the reverse stick, the cream rises in the fiscally responsible pro league as finals beckon. David Balburni joins us to chat about stuff and hey, well, well, stuff. And welcome to the reverse stick. The Global Hockey Podcast. My name is John Lee. I'm joined by Matt Allen. And how are we this fiscally responsible Pro League week? I'm, I'm good, mate. It's been another fantastic week here on the island. I've got to say, I'm starting to miss the family a little bit. It's a bit onerous spending all this time away from them, but we're still getting paid. You know, that's the main thing, isn't it? Um, another fantastic week with the Fiscally Responsible Pro League. Great action tonight, live on our Facebook feed. Yeah, it was indeed. We'll get through some uh, a, a little bit of chat about that. We've also got a guest tonight, Matt. Good to have an interview. Well, it's been a while. No one wants to speak to us. They're all busy speaking to all these other new podcasts that are out at Ooh, the moment. Plenty of them. <laughs> <laughs> no, absolutely <laughs> delighted to have uh, David Balburney coming up in the show a little bit later on. Former General Secretary of the European Hockey Union, heavily involved with Irish hockey for years. Um, and uh, was, of course, a presidential candidate four years ago for the FIH role. Indeed, and we'll be speaking to him shortly. Some great chat coming up. But first... Well, there's only one game in town at the moment, John. Really? Fiscally responsible pro league. It was on again tonight, Matt. Um, I'll tell you what, I think the, the final four is nearly set. Uh, yeah, it, yeah, it cemented the places for a few sides. A couple of wild cards popping up there, um, but we've seen sides like China continue their great form in the women's comp, <laughs> India in the men's comp, and uh, it's uh, one more round of games until we're into finals. I think we're also seeing the death of Australian hockey, aren't we? Very disappointing. Um, both the men's and the women's. The, the men did have a win. No, they weren't, didn't play this week. No. They had a win last week, but they they're, uh, they're out of it, unfortunately. Looks uh, that way. Um, yeah, and uh, Dutch men, you know, a bit on the wane as well. Ah, they've been wobbling. It's a wobble, Matt. It's a wobble. They have. Um, but, but don't you forget, can catch, yeah, it. catch it next Saturday live on our Facebook live feed. Just search the reverse stick on Facebook. If you're not following us on there already, why not? Equally with Instagram and Twitter at the reverse stick. Yeah. Give us a like, follow, and do all that sort of stuff. And you don't have to wait till next week either. You can watch the previous weeks on Facebook as well, can't you? They're all there, John. Yeah, if you've got some time on your hand. I know some people <laughs> have at the moment. <laughs> we obviously do. <laughs> um, that's what we're doing for the fiscally responsible pro league wrap this week. If you will want to check it out, you can do on uh, Facebook, as Matt said. Um, but we've got bigger fish to fry, don't we, Matt? Hello, I'm Nick Irvin, and you are listening to the Reverse Stick, the Global Hockey Podcast. You're listening to the Global Hockey Podcast. Ah, uh, it's a cool, cool, lovely night here in the uh, People's Republic, isn't it? Um, Th- thankfully, a few less margaritas this week for you, though. We are going to talk to David Balburnie very shortly. Very, very shortly, Matt. Uh, Have you got anything yeah, to say before we do talk to him? Quick, yeah, quick bits of news. Sultan Aslan Shire Cup, that's off. This year, that's uh, another casualty, um, and um, some decisions made in in Europe with some of the leagues there. Ulster, um, they've uh, they've concluded the championships there. Of course, England, Surbiton men and women both 
crowned champions in the top divisions there as well. Decisions being made finally and uh, things being cold. There are signs that the Dutch national teams are getting to train again. Uh, junior hockey is starting up again there now um, under government direction with certain restrictions in place. We're not far off it here as well, John, in, in Western Australia. They're looking to get it happening more across the country as well. There's stuff coming out from the top level. that uh, And junior sport, kids sport, is the thing that's most likely to get going again fairly soon. There's, well, there's light think, at the end of the tunnel. In some ways, the Australian intrastate restrictions will come off before interstate restrictions yeah. come off, if you know what I mean. So, yeah, oh, look, we're, we're getting better. We're always going to get better, Matt. It was just a matter of time. Yeah, Let's it. just make sure we ride the wave the whole way to the beach. Hang in we? there, guys, and stay with our great um, initiative, hashtag Hockey United, that I've done absolutely nothing with at all. <laughs> <laughs> You are listening to the Reverse Stick, the global hockey podcast, and it is featured interview time again here on the show. And it's an absolute delight to have Mr. David Balburnie down the line from Ireland, former FIH exec board member, former Euro Hockey Federation honorary general secretary. There's nothing he hasn't done in the game in Ireland. David, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Pleasure to be talking to you guys. You're doing a great job. Uh, thank you. Um, uh, we, uh, we, we get lots of interest, David, in some of the stuff that you post currently about hockey. But what we really like to start off with is your hockey history and when you first picked up a stick and how you got into the game originally. Sure, but before I even uh, start on that, I'd just like to make reference to the passing of Annabelle Dillon or Annabelle Pennyfather, who was a FIH vice president and good dear colleague with me on the FIH board. Yeah, she was a wonderful lady, and uh, she was great to be around. I actually was texted her about three or four weeks ago because uh, during the SARS crisis in the early 2000s, uh, we were attending a board meeting together, and she very kindly gave me one of the very uh, comprehensive masks with a filter on it. And I dug it out the other day with all that's going on at the moment and uh, sent her a text to thank her again for the mask. So she's always in my mind and has been over many, many years. Yeah, particularly at this time as well. So, very, no, very, very, very sad. Um, so, yeah, go on. Tell us about your hockey history, David. Where did it all start for you? Well, my hockey history goes back uh, a long time. I played, obviously, in school, to, and uh, not to a very high level. I, ha- I had a bad spinal injury uh, and therefore was unable to continue playing and went into the management role and uh, was managing the Irish senior under-21 and indoor teams for a number of years, then became the Secretary General of the Irish Hockey Union, then uh, managed to get myself elected to the board of the European Hockey Federation in 1991, and uh, then was elected Secretary General of the European Hockey Federation in 1993, where I stayed until 2012. In the intervening period, I also was elected to the FIH Council, which was the former organization which ran the hockey, Worldwide Hockey, uh, which was amalgamated with the uh, Women's Federation. And then I was elected to the first uh, ever board of the International Hockey Federation in 2001, where I stayed and did an eight-year term, uh, stopping in Los Angeles in 2008. So my involvement has been pretty intense over the years. However, I'm not a hockey maniac. Uh, I do other sports and enjoy other things in life, and it certainly doesn't preoccupy all my day, even though I am uh, tweeting a little bit currently about the status of the current regime. 
uh, in Lausanne. Now, is there a home club? Do you, are you aligned to any particular club side in Ireland, David? Uh, I'm, I'm a little bit, my friends say I'm a bit like a gypsy because I've, I've been aligned to three different clubs over, over my time. The first one was Monkstown Hockey Club, which is one of the oldest hockey clubs in Ireland. Then I transferred to a Voca Hockey Club, uh, again, which is an old club. And then I moved on to a club called Three Rock Rovers, uh, which is, in fact, uh, the second oldest hockey club in Ireland and one of the oldest in the world. Uh, I, I didn't fall out with people for a reason for leaving from one club to the other. It's just due to locations and where I was living, it just made more sense to be in, playing in, in the local club. Now, you were doing administrative roles nationally. Were you doing anything at club level before that sort of spurred you on to, to take something bigger on? Uh, yes, I was. I was secretary of a Boca Hockey Club uh, for a short period of time. Uh, but, but and then moved on to uh, a provincial level and then national level. David, was the administrative side of things something that you liked doing and thought you'd do, or was it something that you just fell into? Uh, no, it's something I enjoy doing. Uh, I, I'm also, I also was involved uh, in some other sports uh, on a professional basis, and uh, I enjoyed the uh, administrative and marketing and, and general organization of sports and sports administration. So you, 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 you move from um, managing sides, and you mentioned before the Irish senior teams and under-21 teams, um, and then when, when does the opportunity come to, to get involved um, with the administration in Ireland and then and in, in Europe after that? Uh, in Ireland, I, I became secretary in the uh, late, late 80s, and then became secretary, then became on the, got nominated to the board of the European Hockey Federation in 1991, I think it was, and then be, and then was invited to become secretary when the, the former secretary, Ab van Grimbergen from the Netherlands, uh, resigned. Uh, the president, Alan Danny from France invited me to become the secretary, and I then was elected in 1993 to that position. Now, reading some bits and pieces about you, and, and one of the things I'd read was that you were instrumental of the, the move uh, to Brussels for, for Euro hockey. Um, what was the setup bef- before then? Uh, originally, we uh, were running on a very um, sort of volunteer, amateurish uh, basis. Um, Robert Watson from England was the secretary for many years, and before him, Maurice Freken from Belgium. Uh, Maurice, Maurice uh, used to run the organization from his home, and then uh, Robert Watson took it on, and uh, we employed a part-time secretary who used to work from her own uh, uh, legal office and did work for the European Federation at the same time. And then Ab van Grimbergen took over as secretary, and he moved, uh, the, off- moved the organization to the Netherlands, and he set up an office, an independent office in the Netherlands, and we got a great deal of support from the KNHB at that time. And uh, when I became secretary, the office was in Netherlands with an administrator, but uh, the board felt it was more appropriate to have the office then transferred to Ireland, where we uh, set up an office here in Dublin, along with uh, an administrator. And then in uh, 2003 or 4. Uh, an opportunity arose to purchase the an office in Brussels, and then we transferred our administration to Brussels in 2008. Now, the, the, oh, sorry, go on, John. Look, David, how much how much of a difference do you think it makes having where your head office is located? 
especially in the modern era as we're seeing now, is there, is there any real advantage other than people can live closer to the building depending on where you have the office? Uh, I think initially when we moved the office to Brussels, uh, it made sense. Um, uh, we had to be careful, though, that we had uh, 43 member federations, of which 27 of them were part of the European Union and the remainder were not. Uh, however, the, the opportunity to buy in Brussels came about because it was the original office of the International Hockey Federation. And uh, the, the, then, the then president of the FIH, Elsa Breed of Riesman was very keen to move the FIH office to Lausanne. She was a great fan of the IOC and a great lover of, of that institution. And uh, therefore, the office became available and they were unable to sell it. So uh, myself and Leandro Negre, the president of the European Federation, proposed to the board that we should put in an offer, uh, which, of course, was rejected because it was a derisory offer. Uh, but subsequently, they came back and negotiated negotiated with us and we bought, uh, bought the office in Brussels. Uh, we, we rented it out then for three or four years and then did a refit of the office and it's now an absolutely magnificent building right in the heart of Brussels. The benefit of being in Brussels for Europe is because uh, it's the headquarters of uh, European sport uh, through the European Union and uh, there are benefits to that uh, associated with being in Europe. Uh, but with regards to having an overall administration in one place, the, even the European Hockey Federation don't have that. I mean, they've got people uh, living in different countries. Uh, they're not based in Brussels. There's only, I think, one or maybe two people currently based in Brussels. Well, it leads on nicely, David, to a question that we've got from one of our listeners, Tansy Lee. Um, it's in two parts. Oh, no, I'll, I'll just do the first part here. Uh, clearly, the expensive Lausanne bubble location doesn't work, unless, of course, its sole purpose is to be out of touch with grassroots hockey. Does David have an opinion or a suggestion as to where the FIH headquarters should be located when taking our wonderful game's best interests at heart? Well, uh, I was never a fan to move the office to Lausanne in the first place and was quite vocal on the board of the FIH at the time about not moving to Lausanne. However, uh, I was a, a lone, not quite a lone soldier, but virtually a lone soldier um, because I felt it was going to be extraordinarily expensive and, and it wasn't the ideal location at all. It's even, Lausanne is even an extremely difficult place to get to. You've got to fly to Geneva or Zurich, then you've got to take a train. So it's not even like you're getting into a place and getting in a taxi and being there in 20 minutes. Plus, all the operational costs in Lausanne are absolutely horrendous. At the time, it was sold to us on the basis that uh, the then president felt it was good to be close to the IOC and close to the IOC president, and that in turn would lead to lots of extra funding. Uh, but yet, I, I, I have still, I'm still waiting to see that actually happen. Uh, so it, there's no merit at all, in my view, of having an office in Lausanne, other than the... Uh, the, the prestige for the president to say that his office is in Lausanne and we're closely aligned with the IOC and I, I have my doubts about the benefits of that. Mm. With regard to where it should now be, um, uh, it should be in a, in a, in a, in a country uh, that probably offers the uh, FIH the best deal. Good. We'll see you in, Good point. A, we'll see you in a disha then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry? We'll see, we'll see you in a disha. Uh, yeah, well, I'll, 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 uh, I'll obviously say maybe not quite just the best deal, but the best deal encompasses a number of things, not just not just financial. David, you touched on it there. The nexus between hockey and the IOC. Um, 
for mine, I think we come to a, a, a very important juncture with our relationship with the IOC, and um, I think there's going to be a lot of changes. And so, either way it goes, a lot of people in hockey aren't going to be happy. Um, I'm wondering if it's not time that we we cut ties with the IOC. I have uh, been fortunate enough uh, to have attended a number of Olympic Games, um, but never really went there with great enthusiasm to any of the games and never really enjoyed my time at the games. Uh, they're, they're a ginormous organization and uh, the sport really doesn't uh, have, a, have a nice feel about it, even though everybody gets terribly excited about the Olympic movement. Uh, I think when you look at uh, uh, FIFA and World Rugby are the two major other team sports, uh, they both uh, have decided that their World Cups are their premier competition and have maximized those events and have come in on the back end of the, uh, of the Olympic Games as, with uh, football using a mixture of under-21s and seniors and uh, the rugby using uh, rugby sevens. Now, the rugby sevens and the football seem to work, but they, they're certainly not uh, their number one objective. Uh, I, I think we probably are going to end up having to do something similar because if we don't, uh, the IOC may, may make that decision for us. And what do you see that being? Do you think it's inevitable that Hockey Fives will be the thing to um, feature at the Olympics in the future? Uh, I'm, uh, I'm not sure it's inevitable, but I'm, I'm not sure that the Olympic movement will be in, in the same form or, or shape in the next uh, quarter of a century. I think things are moving quite quickly. Uh, even uh, the other day, an IOC member, Guy Drew in uh, France, uh, was speaking quite openly about things are definitely going to change within the Olympic movement over the coming years. The, the whole concept of running 27 uh, inverted commas world championships at one, in one city is no longer a feasible college. And I think uh, the Olympic movement in its current form and the way it presents its games is, uh, is really nearly run its course, particularly now when you see them running uh, Winter Olympics, Youth Olympics, and then you have all the continental federations doing Winter Youth, youth Olympics and Continental Olympics and indoors and outdoors. And it's just, it's, it's, the calendar has gone mad. Yeah, absolutely. But I guess the, the fear for many of the big nations is if we lose that tie with the Olympics, suddenly we lose that nice big fat check and uh, the ability to run our, our national high-performance programs. Uh, I, I would agree. I'm not sure we're running that much of a high-performance program at the moment, uh, but I, I agree with you that that is the fear, and, and we rely, we are so reliant upon that income. So therefore, if one's reliant upon an income, you have to uh, set about preparing for an alternative source in the event that the one you're reliant on is no longer available to you. Yeah. Unfortunately, at the moment, we're not really doing that. No, couldn't, couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more with it. It's uh, Go on, John. No, no, I agree totally. I think the, the international calendar, for one thing, should be pared back by at least half and that we should uh, focus more on having a, a professional level of hockey that uh, occurs at provincial or club level, whatever you like to call it, much the same as what happens in football and other sports. Even rugby has a, a tiered system where players make money at, not from representing their country but from representing those lower tiers. That's where that income is. Yeah, I mean, I mean, just go back briefly to the Hockey Fives and whether that be, would become on the programme. Um, 
I, I did a little uh, survey there some weeks ago just to ask people whether they prefer hockey fives or indoor hockey. And in fact, a significant proportion of the percentage, even though it was only a small sample, all preferred to have indoor hockey and on the program, the Olympic program of hockey fives. Yeah. So uh, I, I think hockey fives is even a, a nonsense. I mean, the whole. Uh, I recall being on the board of the FIH and suggesting uh, a little bit tongue in cheek at the time, which which I have the ability to do, to say, you know, should we not consider actually going back to playing our game on grass if we really want to develop and, and enlarge our game? Now you're because talking, it, David. It's become, <laughs> now you're it's talking. Becoming, it's, be, yeah, it's becoming so expensive, the synthetic turf. Uh, it's it's out of reach to to the majority of people in Africa, as an example, and uh, it's out of reach to the majority of people in Asia. Uh, and really, for us to develop our sport, we have to make it more, uh, simpler. And the hockey fives is basically playing on synthetic turf and and manufacturing a turf which is a third of the size of a, a standard hockey field and putting down two of those. And they're used for hockey fives, and and they're, and they're not they're not used for anything else. Yeah. I mean, it, we'd be nearly better developing a different type of stick and ball on playing in all the uh, mini soccer fields that UEFA and FIFA are putting down all over the place. <laughs> That's not a bad idea. Why, why do we need to to, to reinvent the wheel? You know, we're, we're, we don't think straight. Well, no, it, to be honest, I mean, Hockey Fives is a, um, a bandwagon that we've railed against for quite some time now. Um, and the big thing for us is, is where has it come from? Whose idea is it and why? Uh, I, think it's, I think it was driven by the former president of the FIH, Leandro Negre, and the former CEO, Kelly Fairweather. They were very keen on the idea of, of having this Hockey Fives and new invention. And I think it also came about from uh, the IOC when Thomas Bach got involved. And uh, he was getting all excited about basketball trees and was pushing the FIH to do something concerning the, the format of theirs for the Youth Olympics. So then we came up with this. But I think if we'd stood around and played hockey at 11 aside, hockey 11s would still be played in the Youth Olympics uh, or, or no hockey at all, which maybe would be a bad thing either. Uh, I don't think the Youth Olympics are anything to shout, shout home about. Uh, and so it's sort of it's just developed. And, of course, then the marketeers in the, in the office in Lausanne and we're telling everybody it was the greatest thing since sliced bread, and we were going to do this and that with it and make a fortune and all the rest of it. And, of course, those marketeers are no longer with us because <laughs> they, failed to achieve, they failed to achieve anything. Now, you could replace Hockey Fives with FIH Pro League there, I, I would think, and it would pretty much stick word for word. Uh, uh, virtually, but I, I, I think hopefully the Pro League won't last as long as Hockey Fives. <laughs> yeah, now, David, you've had a long history of involvement with um, hockey administration. Um, how much different is ga- game administered, administered now than, say, it was 20 years ago? Have we, have we changed the way that we run the game? Uh, I, think, I, think we've, I think if you take the, the, the uh, International Hockey Federation uh, of 136, 137 member associations, um, You've got to recognize there's probably about 20, 25 of those are of a serious enough nature and, and have got the funds to be able to administer the sport in a, in a semi-professional, professional way. Uh, the remaining federations are still run on an amateur basis by a bunch of volunteers with limited resources and limited budgets and limited facilities. Um, I do think that the 25, 2025 federations have improved enormously in their administration. 
Uh, I'm not sure, though, that the International Federation has kept pace with the with the modern day governance of how to run a run an, an IF. Uh, we're still we're still sort of in between the old model and the, the new new independent, fully transparent model. Well, transparency is something that interests us and interests you as well at FIH level. Um, we've got elections coming up at the end of the year. Uh, what, what's your, where would you, you score the current president and CEO? Uh, well, look, I, uh, I stood obviously against him uh, now four years ago, um, and uh, I had a, I had a, a platform to stand on, and so had he. Uh, his platform uh, was presented to the to the Congress, uh, and with the support of one or two people. Uh, he ensured he obtained sufficient votes to win. Uh, and his platform, he hasn't uh, achieved on that. So therefore, uh, he, he, he has failed, in my opinion. Um, and in the, media, in the media time also, he has had, he's on his second chief executive. And uh, the administration, I believe, is very poor. So I would have to say, I think they're both, both have done very poorly in the last four years. David, uh... Where, what blame lays where? I mean, I'm trying to make the separation between the roles of a, of, of a president and the roles of a CEO. How much independence is there, but should there be between them? And, and what should they actually be in charge of? Well, uh, currently the, currently there, there is, there doesn't appear to be sufficient independence between them. Uh, whether that's because the president doesn't think the CEO is good enough, or, or whether the president thinks he knows better than the CEO, that that's, that would be open to debate. Um, I think the president, the president of the federation, should really become more of a figurehead for the organisation, and should be the one that represents all the member associations uh, in, throughout throughout the world, and and uh, does a good PR job in relation to that. The CEO is the man that should be running the organisation and uh, reporting to the board, and the board is chaired by the president. Yeah, well, we've often mentioned uh, we'd, we'd have quite liked to see the president sitting in a big purple chair at the top of the stands, but all too often he's down on the field organising where players should stand to receive their medals and passing flowers on and uh, involved left, right and centre. Very hands-on. Well, he certainly was until he took a second role <laughs> not too long back. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's not even dignified, uh, the way the, uh, the president portrays the International Hockey Federation, in my view. No, there's certainly been some outbursts in, um, in, in the media and um, some, some uh, conversations had that aren't becoming to hockey and, and uh, slightly embarrassing. And for, well, fortunately, nobody in the world press really takes any notice of hockey, so we can get away with it. <laughs> yeah. Well, look, David. Well, yeah, it's, it's, been, it's been a difficult period. Yeah. While we're on that that sort of subject about you know compliance and those sorts of things and governance, I mean the fact that you know the the president, as you point out, has two hats. Uh, we've, we've got other members of the board there that wear two hats at all that I would have thought would have made them totally in, ineligible. They're either going to be one or the other. You can't be both. Yeah, there was. Um there was even a, a, a period when, when I when I got elected to the board of the FIH, I was the secretary general of the European Hockey Federation, and uh, the president of the FIH at that time 
consulted with the IOC Ethics Commission over my position because she felt that I was uh, under the control of the then president of the European Hockey Federation and therefore shouldn't shouldn't be sitting on the board of the FIH. Uh, but I always was I was always was an elected member. I wasn't in the point on a full-time basis and didn't have a contract of employment with the EHF. So uh, I argued on that basis and, and uh, I, I got the support of the majority of the board and so therefore remained on the board. Um, there, is, there is a question mark about whether it makes sense to have uh, uh, CEOs of, of uh, federations, member associations or CEOs of continental federations on the board. But uh, I think probably you probably can't stop us because there is, there is always a conflict of interest. I think you have currently uh, the five continental presidents on the board of the FIH. They clearly all have a conflict of interest. If there's a discussion about something to do with their continent, uh, you've got presidents. You've got some presidents of uh, member associations on the board. They too clearly have a conflict of interest. So you'll never overcome a conflict of interest when you're having when you're dealing with a small volunteer pool. Yeah, fair call. So with, we, we just mentioned before that there are elections coming up at the end of the year. Do you have any word of anybody that's a potential challenger for Dr. Batra? Uh, before I get on to that, though, um, just, to, just to finish off on the conflict of interest, um, there, is, there is one clear conflict of interest. On the, uh, there's, well, there's two clear conflicts of interest. Um, there, in my view, there's a clear conflict of interest with regard to the, to the uh, holding of some of the congresses in, a, in the Lalit Hotel in, the, in uh, India, when uh, the president of the FIH is clearly involved with that hotel uh, and uh, hospitality is extended from that hotel, that for me is a clear conflict of interest. Yeah. And the other clear conflict of interest is the chief executive of the Asian Hockey Federation. He, he, we talk about uh, the president wearing two hats. Uh, the the uh, chief executive of the, of the Asian Hockey Federation wears about seven or eight hats. <laughs> so... Uh, so he is clearly, uh, clearly there's a conflict of interest. And I, and I just can't understand why the FIH's uh, election committee haven't uh, flagged this up uh, before. I mean, uh, currently, uh, Taya Bikram is uh, a member of the Olympic Solidarity Commission of the IOC, where, and that is a, an important commission which hands out money to the uh, National Olympic Committees, who in turn pass that money on to various uh, local member associations. Uh, he is a member of the Events Commission of ANOC, which is the Association of National Olympic Committees, and he's nominated there as an FIH expert on events, so I'm not sure how he's managed to get that position. Uh, he's a member of the Coordination Commission of the, Ocean, of the uh, Asian Olympic Committee, and he's down as coming from Macau, Macau for that position. He's a member, uh, executive board member of the FIH. He's a joint chair with Ahmed Saif, who's the president of the African Federation for the Coaching and Development Committee of the FIH. That is the committee that hands out the money for development and all the coaching programs. He's a member of the governance panel, which is quite extraordinary. And he's chairman of the International Olympic Relations Committee of the, European, of the International Hockey Federation. He's the CEO of the Asian Hockey Federation. I have no idea how many commissions he's a member of in Asia as the Asian website doesn't publish any uh, information with regards to its commissions or doesn't publish its statutes. So he is clearly operating 
with clearly in a conflict of interest, not just for the International Hockey Federation, he's in conflict of interest for his own Asian Federation, and he's in conflict of interest in relation to all the other various Olympic movements of which he's a member. But with everything that you've lifted there, bar the CEO of Asia Hockey, they would be volunteer roles? Uh, they are volunteer roles, but, but, but some of them come with uh, quite, quite substantial uh, benefits, financial benefits for attending meetings. Be nice. Be nice to get into that. We're going yeah, we're we're to start looking at that, John. Yeah, I think we should. Get on that gravy. I job. mean, uh, uh, I'm led to believe, as you, you said there, um, Macau um, time represents Macau, but as far as I can find out, he, he doesn't represent Macau at all. Yeah, so that's what, that's why I just highlighted that. It's just interesting on the uh, Asian Olympic Committee, he's down as coming from Macau, but whether that's just because they haven't got their website updated. Mm. Yeah, it must be. Yeah. Technical issues. Yeah. For using technical it's, a, it's probably, the, it's probably the, the least of the problems we have. Yes. All right, so, um, yeah, but back on to elections at the end of the year. Any viable candidates for, um, for challenging the incumbent president? Well, I think the problem goes back um, to the fact that uh, I think, first of all, you must recognise, and we all must recognise, that for many years, uh, Europe was the dominant force in uh, uh, leading the International Hockey Federation. And that, at a certain moment, had to change. And I I accept that fact fully. The wheel always goes full circle. And and we're halfway through that circle at the moment, I suppose, now. Um, However... um, one of the reasons why the wheel has gone half circle is down to the uh, the decline of strength of leadership of both the European and Pan American federations. Uh, they they no longer have the full support of their own member associations. Uh, whereas in former times, uh, the president of Europe completely controlled the forty three member associations. And the president of Pan America completely controlled the 30-odd Pan American federations. But now you have a situation where Tayeb has got control of some of the European members. And uh, Dan A. Andre, who is from Uruguay, a member of the FIH executive board, has got control of some of the Pan American federations. And because of that, those two continental federations are unable to deliver their full membership in relation to having a, an election and, and ensuring that they have the support of all the member associations. Mm-hmm. So because of that, you, we, the, there is going to be a problem in relation to any, any upcoming elections. So that's a no, no candidates. I don't know there'll be no candidates. Uh, I think uh, I'm certainly uh, aware of and have partaken in some conversations here in Europe as to what the what the strategy could be or should be over the coming months and years. Uh, but no decision has yet been made as to what exactly is going to happen. Well, there has been talk as well of, of, of some kind of breakaway, whether it be with top nations or even top clubs, discussions around that as well with Europe. Do you think there, there may be some kind of split in organisation? I don't think so. I don't think that's prudent. Uh, no. I, think, I think at the end of the day, the, uh, 
the, the International Hockey Federation is the governing federation for world hockey, and I don't think there's any merit to be gained from uh, member associations breaking away. Uh, member associations, if they're unhappy, can uh, spend more time within their own continental federations um, and, and maybe not participate to the same level at the FIH until things change, but it would not make sense to break away in any way. David, is, is now a good time to really strip back these things and in some ways, you know, start building the castle again? Have we, have the model that we've been trying to instill, has, has that failed us? Um, I don't think so. I mean, I, I think, I think, sport, I think the important thing about sport is a, a, one of the important things about sport is the history of the sport. And uh, the history of our sport is very rich. Uh, so I think it's it's a shame to to would be a shame to sort of ch- to do something radical, which means we lose the history of our sport. Um, and some of the things we have done in relation to our competitions has eroded that history. And the new history that we are trying to create isn't working. So so that certainly isn't helping. But uh, I think the premise of, of having an international federation and every one member association has one vote is the correct way to do it. I don't think the voting should be loaded. I think World Rugby is a disgrace the way they have the voting loaded in certain ways. Uh, so I think it should be one member, one vote. Uh, we should retain the International Hockey Federation. Uh, but I think we have to to um, remove remove people who are of influence who are who are of influence for their own gain and not for the good of our sport. Yeah, yeah, can't, couldn't agree more with that. Um, so, you know, what's what's the path forward for us? Would you know where where, where do we go now to have a a, a better, stronger international? Um, well, first off, FIH, but international hockey community. Well, I think. Um, there's obviously a number of things that have got to happen. I think, I think also one of the things that has to happen is, and I've been pushing it for some time, but there hasn't been any great take-up. I do believe we should have a players' association, yeah. uh, a former professional players' association. In theory, we're an amateur sport, but we are not an amateur sport. We have, we have players playing all over the place and getting paid for it. And uh, decisions are being made at uh, international level uh, f- with regard to the calendar and the program of events. And the players really are not strong enough in that regard and making their voice heard strong enough. So I do believe that one of the things that should happen, and it should happen quickly, is that senior players should come together and form a players' association. Yeah, we certainly agree with that, and we've called for that before, haven't we, John? Yeah, I think a players' association makes complete sense. I think once you do that, then you can at least... Get people round a table. Uh, you can, you, I mean, uh, you can, you, you recognize there are 137 member associations. But the reality is, as I said a moment ago, there's 20, 25 member associations who are playing hockey, uh, actively at a top level and, uh, are challenging for either a World Cup's place or an Olympic place. So those 25 federations should be brought together along with the coaches of their national teams and along with the representative athletes from those 25 federations should all be brought together for a week or five days and sit around tables individually and collectively to discuss where are we and where do we want to go over the next 25 years. All right, so tick to Players Union, Players Association. What else do we need? 
Well, we need we need uh, we need strong continental federations, and we need strong leadership in those continental federations to be able to ensure that whatever decisions are made, uh, they can bring along all their member associations with them, so they can all fully support it. David, just on that line, do you think that there's um, a gap between the 95% of us who play hockey for a local club and that 5% at the international level? I think there is. I think there always will be. And I think it's where it's not unique to hockey. No, do, what I'm getting at is do you think that there's a, a, a lack of understanding amongst people in the top leadership roles about what the general hockey community wants we've been so focused on what happens at the international level absolutely i i I, uh one of the things i did as secretary of the european hockey federation was i ensured that i met regularly with all our member associations in their own countries and ensured that we had board meetings of the european federation in those countries as well so we had four board meetings a year we used to have maybe two in brussels and two outside the member associations because that was a wonderful eye-opener for the executive board members of the European Federation to see really the different standards and levels of what was going on in the various countries. And there are huge gaps between uh, uh, the Netherlands and England and Germany and Spain and Moldova and Georgia and Armenia. And the only way people really comprehend that is to go and see it and see what level of finance they have and what level of funding they have, and then you can get an understanding of what's required. And uh, there is no doubt uh, the the Lausanne and the administration have no idea about the real world when it comes to that. Yeah, we agree with that yeah, as well. No, no. We're, just, we're, just, we're just sitting here opposite each other, just nodding and smiling, and you know, now, you know, it's it's a. Drop. I think the other problem as well is the other problem as well is in in, in Lausanne, um, we you know, and and it's 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 not their fault, but um, they all work there because it's their job. And they will do everything in relation to their job to ensure they get paid every month. And uh, they are on a career path, which is nothing to do with hockey. It's their own personal career path in the sports administration. And uh, in that Lausanne bubble, they do tend to move round IFs on a fairly regular basis uh, and chasing the dollar all the time. So all their decisions are ultimately driven by their own uh, their own objectives. Uh, whereas when you had some volunteers involved at the high level of administration, at least you had people with a smell and a feel for our own sport directly involved with what was going on. And you just didn't have people making decisions which bear no resemblance to what actually is reality. Yeah, we often make comment about the, uh, the, the, the Rue in Lausanne there with all of the sports associations all next to each other, that nice little wine bar that they drop into at three yeah. o'clock on a Friday afternoon and talk about what jobs are coming yeah. up. I noticed that the former, um, FIH, uh, media guy, he's just, uh, secured a new role with the IOC because don't forget they always drop into the IOC on this career path as well. Correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, so they, they and I, I don't fault them for that. Um, that that's that's fair enough. But unfortunately, it's to the detriment of our sport. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We do, we do still need to have some 
some volunteer administrative people uh, at the highest level uh, intermixing with the professional. It's a very hard thing to do, but it's very important. Otherwise, you just lose completely the feel for the sport. I mean, in the example I gave at the very beginning here of of no zero mention so far of the demise of Annabelle Dillon uh, shows that people really haven't a clue what's going on with our sport, you know, at at, at domestic level and, and the history of our sport. Yeah, the history of our sport's very important. I've been harping on about um, some sort of database, a la Cricket Info, where you can... There, there's some statistical background to the history of our game, and it, it adds so much. You can't even go to uh, the FIH, tms.fih.ch, and find out what the, the, the line-ups were for past Olympics. You'll get a scoreline, but you won't get a team sheet anywhere. Yeah. Um, Unfortunately, there was a man called Pat Rowley uh, yeah, yeah. was had a lot has a lot of that stuff, and uh, currently the hockey museum based in UK is trying to trying to get all of that, and and therefore there'll be a bit more information available. But it's it's a very hard thing to document. I, I spent some time on the as a trustee of the hockey museum, and it's not an easy thing to do. No, they do a great job there as well. And we've had Mike on the show before, and I've, yeah. I've been actually messaging Shane there recently about seeing if we can help out yeah. at all with uh, some of the social media stuff, because, of course, they are a volunteer organisation. Yeah, 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 very much so. Well, they do some super stuff there. So what about for you, David? Is, are you a, is there any um, hope of taking another administrative role within the game, or is that all behind you now? Uh, I, I would uh, think that's probably probably behind me, uh, but never say never. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> we'll leave that one there. Yeah. Well, David, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the reverse stick today. Thank you so much for your generous time, and uh, hopefully the, uh, the listeners are going to enjoy our chat. It's been a pleasure talking to you guys, and thank you very much for all that you do. It's, it's great and very informative and good fun also. You are listening to the Reverse Stick, the Global Hockey Podcast, and that was David Balberni. And, uh, well, uh, actually, we didn't go half as deep as we really could have. That was a 40-minute chat, and uh, there was lots left to explore. And we did the regular stop recording and then spent another 20 minutes chatting afterwards again. Oh, we, we should have said this, or we should have said no, that. I'm not playing like, that publicly. No, no, we didn't record any <laughs> of that, John. But um, I think you've got plenty there anyway, folks. I don't, oh, think exactly. you, I don't think you need it anymore. There would have been a bit, a few, ooh, and ah, um, uh, sounds coming out of the listeners. Well, I, would, I would have thought. Um, well, now's but, the time. Um, this is a very, very pivotal time for our sport because of the nature of what, it, by circumstance, it's a pivotal time for our sport. And um, well, if we I, don't at least explore the possibilities of what this moment could mean for us, then... We're going to miss out big time. That's not to mean anything changes at all. It just means explore possibilities. Yeah, and I, and I, but I think it's good to have some awareness around some of the issues that were brought up by David and some of the things we spoke about and some of the things that we've spoken about many times before on the show as well. Have we gone through so, uh, an interview and said, I agree, so often? Uh, a couple of times we have. Yeah, we've had some warm, fuzzy feelings and big smiles on our faces. No, I wasn't our, talking about fuzzy feelings. It was more like a clinical yes and, well, yes, I agree. No, we, well, we mentioned in, in the chat there that there was, um, we looked across, yeah. our eyes met across the desk, took in a deep breath. 
Oh, it's good to see you're giving this discussion the uh, level of <laughs> gravitas that it deserves. No. But it was really good of David to join us, and um, at times, you know, the signal wasn't the greatest or whatever, but we got through the bulk of of what David was having to I say. I think it's fa- it's fascinating, and it's not not something we hear about all the time. You know, there there are some roles there that I wouldn't mind taking it myself, though, John, as we mentioned as well. Uh, I've but, said it. You should run the social media accounts. I'm putting it out there, folks. Um, Jerry, give Matt Allen a call. Seriously, he's, he's right onto it. Well, apparently he's open to talking to everyone at the moment. Well, yes. Well, there you go. Oh, I think that announcement might be back on, Matt. You are listening to The Reverse Stick, the hashtag Glow Ho Po. That's short for Global Hockey Podcast, but just for the kids. If you're one of the kids, don't forget to follow us on Instagram, at The Reverse Stick. What are the kids? Check it out. Huh? What are the kids? The kids listening to the show. Hey? Anybody under They're not kids, any, mate. any anybody under twenty nine. <laughs> <laughs> Go on, what have you got? Oh, I know what time it is. Mm. Matt's Mystery File. Okay, Let me just rearrange the paperwork here. No, you're not allowed to look I oh, no, no. I can, it's right in front of me, folks. I can say he's just opened it up. I don't know if he's pre marked the cards or not. But uh, he's just opened one up and he's about to read. What have you got there? Look, I, I've picked this one out already. But the reason I've picked it out already is because I posted a photograph this week on the social media. Oh, you originally media wrote it? Of, sorry? Uh, you didn't originally write it in 1922? Uh, 1921. Oh. No, yeah, no. So that was, I posted a picture That's of... That's an old uh, joke. Stan, Stanley Shoveler. Um, in in action in his last oh, international yes. at the age of 41 against Ireland in 1921. Um, now this is in in a magazine from 1959, but he'd he'd recently passed on. So there was a um, an article here today's yesterday's. The recent death in England of Stanley Howard Shoveler recalls that in the early years of the century, until the First World War, he was by common consent the greatest hockey forward of his time. As a centre-forward of consummate skill and wonderful stick work, his position was never challenged and he was called for over 20 years the Prince of Centre-Forwards. To the crowds, however, he was always affectionately known as Shove. It is a coincidence that the only other hockey player to ever win similar world renown should be the Indian wizard Dian Chand, who was also a centre-forward. This memoir of the late S.H. Shoveler is contributed by C.T.A. Wilkinson, who played in the same Hampstead team from 1911 until the early 20s. They also played together for Surrey, the South and England in the Olympic Games. Prince of Centre Forwards, that was the title bestowed upon Stanley Shoveler and acknowledged by everyone who played with or against him as fairly won. He first played for England in 1902 when little more than a schoolboy from that fine nursery Kingston Grammar School. From then until 1921, he scored 100 times for England and won 29 caps, apart from the Olympic Games. He was not always able to get away from business when selected, and his career was interrupted by four years of war, but for which he would probably have collected double that number of caps. But perhaps his most remarkable record was in connection with the Olympic Games. He's the only English player to have won two gold medals, which he did as a winning member of the England Olympic teams of 1908 and 1920. I think 1920 was actually GB, um, officially. Although it must be conceded that the foreign challenge in Olympic hockey was not then so strong. It's remarkable that in 1920 at Antwerp, 12 years after his first medal, including four years of war, in which he won a military cross, 
He again represented England in the Olympics when approaching his 40th year. His last game was against Ireland in 1921. He actually finished top scorer of that tournament with 12 goals and put eight, no, maybe it wasn't 12, but put eight past um, Belgium in a 12-1 win or something at, um, at those Olympics. He was the most deceptive player to watch. He did not appear to be fast or to have remarkable stick work or a devastating shot. But he was desperately quick off the mark, had wonderful control of the ball without any flashy display of stick work, took the ball away from and passed a tackler with a body swerve and no obstruction, and shot hard and accurately when necessary. His favourite and most effective method was, however, to bring the ball up to the left side of the goal and to score with a flick shot, which no goalkeeper seemed able to stop. He was splendidly fair and sporting player. In all the years I played with him, I can remember no occasion in which he was involved in any incident or unpleasantness. With all this, he was the most modest and unassuming of men. Take him for all in all, we shall not look upon his like again. So there we go. Stanley Shoveler. Shove. And that game, the, 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 the picture I put up his last game against Ireland in Beckenham in 1921, was attended by King George V. Wow. So you can... Who was um, a hockey fan? Who had played hockey in the Navy, apparently. Oh, right. Um, so there's actually Pathé footage um, from the King George V greeting the players, and there's about a minute's worth that you can find. So if you find the links, we, we put that stuff out with the picture on, uh, on shove in the week. There's also a bit more about him on the, the Hockey Museum site there as well in the Hockive um, details that are on there. So, um, yeah, check out something of uh, some information on the Prince of Centre-Forwards. Uh, just, just a history lesson before we go. George V, which one was he? Uh, the one with the big uh, moustache. Oh, come on. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's and the, uh, the Georges are always... And the little hat. World War One, World War Two. World War One. Okay. Yeah. And then, uh, then the abdication and then the... Elizabeth. That was later, yeah, yeah. Okay, so Elizabeth's grandfather. Uh, Could be, John. Okay. No, no, just checking. I'll tell you what, I'm I'm glad you set that one up because it was a story worth telling and he sounds like a remarkable player. And I think we've we've come across players. I've come across a player that's close to what they talk about there about, you know, not doing nasty things to other players and being not flashy necessarily and all of that sort of stuff. But... In every respect, except the gobbing and umpire's respect. Um, this particular person I'm thinking about, who I won't name because it's not fair on him, oh. uh, loves a chat and an expression of opinion. Uh, no, to or at? No, at umpires. Yeah. Um, but Just while you're going to uh, flick through what you're looking at there, I'm, the, the, I'm one, last, one last thing. Um, on this little article, this was written by uh, this is, uh, Eustace White, has said this, there is no more pleasing sight in all hockey than one of those sudden and electric runs with which Stanley Shoveler delights its comrades and paralyzes his opponents. Excellent. There um, we go. I'm flicking the pages. See, yeah. this is what you did the first week. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll just pull that photo oh, out. No, this no, week. no, I that was I'd, good. That yeah. was very good. Here we go. What's this tip? Final day. It was again another perfect setting for the last series South Australia had New South Wales worried in the evening game and it was not until the 34th minute that the New South Welshmen netted. South Australia continued to produce their best hockey of the championship. The New South Wales forwards were not the accurate at that 
so accurate in their shooting as in early games. Des Doig, the South Australian keeper, was really sighting the ball. New South Wales win 3-1, but they had to work extra hard for the win. Thank you very much. And that was from... Um, Front page, you get the, uh, the oh, date. Oh, the date. Uh, uh, July Good 1961 at some sort of Australian Championship. It doesn't. It must be the Australian Championships. Match report. There you go. Thank uh, you for that. Good stuff. Uh, excellent stuff from Matt's Mystery File. I'll tell you what. The last few weeks, Matt, you have been an inspiration to me. Okay. And I've got it's to nice. tell you that the level of inspiration that it's got to, mm-hmm. uh, we started, we were asked to be involved with the uh, Fiscally Responsible Pro League. Since that time, I have uh, opened Excel, the program, uh-huh. for the very first time in my life. <laughs> right. Not only that, within the same week, I opened the PowerPoint program. Yes, yeah. The program, well, we're talking the program itself, not just, you know, something pops up and you click on it and it opens. I mean, I actually went to the program and deliberately opened PowerPoint. Yep. And then last week, after we'd uh, finished our production responsibilities for the Fiscally Responsible Pro League, when you had first walked in that day, you had a podcast playing on your telling phone. Yes. From, you know, the other side of the world, obviously, with us being in the People's Republic. Yeah. Um, Good to keep up with what's going on at home. And I think it was the last five minutes of, of said podcast that you had or so that, that played. And um, I thought it was tremendously funny. Yeah. You know what I did the next day? What? I listened to that podcast. Oh, did you? I did. So... so and now is that, I actually is that, have is that your a first? podcast app on my oh, phone. Uh I can't reach all the way to the desk there. We should have some round of applause or something. No, I don't, because it'll make some silly noise. But um, wowzers. So inspirational stuff, mate. Brilliant. So have you listened to Ernst's podcast, the latest one? Um, yeah. And how, how'd you go with that? Oh, well, it was all in Dutch. You are listening to The Reverse Stick, the global hockey podcast. Now, Matt... We often talk about social media fails. That's one of your pet's projects, mm-hmm. isn't yep, it? Yep, so, yep. Now, this is not... Not producing them, obviously. <laughs> well, spot, well, you, you have them. done a couple. Yeah. You, you, you know, you're talented at the art. Yeah. You can pick them. Um, this week, or in fact today, in fact today it was, or was it last? No, it was today. A tweet turned up on my Twitter thing when I opened up the thing. Your Twitter the, doorstep, yeah. Yeah, when I opened it up. And it was the Hockey Australia Trivia, which I thought was great. And I'm not having a crack at a Hockey Australia here. It, this just happens to be the tweet that came up. Did you? Okay? Did I you, understand that. Did you answer the trivia question? No. Well, what I got, Matt, was the trivia answers. Because I'm not very good at setting up my feed. So the tweet that I first saw was the answers. Oh, right, okay. <laughs> no, I didn't see the questions when they came so out. It was, they must a, be it was a new tweet, and it, and it wasn't new tweet, and it wasn't a thread, potentially. They maybe could have done it as a thread and hidden. I, I, don't, I don't know. You know that I don't know. No, no. I, it, I, it was there on my screen, the answers. So when you find, yeah. when you scrolled up to the, the questions, what? I'm assuming you scrolled to the actual questions. No, it's just, you know, like on homepage. And no, no, I know, there. I know, I know. Yeah. So, but you've seen the answers. Yeah. So you then scrolled up or you went to the page to see what the questions were for the answers. No. No? No. Okay. I knew them. 
the answers. Yes, I know you know the answer, but you don't know what the question is. Exactly. So That's would, what I'm getting at. So would you have been able to answer it if you'd have gone and read the questions? I don't know. Having previously I didn't seen read the, the answers? Questions. I was just on my thing. Okay. So these questions, go, these answers came up, and it did. I did ponder the question, uh-huh. what are the questions? Yes, yeah, yeah, as you would do. Well, I thought what I'd do is... Um, so obviously they have didn't a, have they didn't have the answers with the questions written no, above, no, above just the answers. These are the answers right, okay. to the, the trivia questions. Okay. Oh, I wonder what the trivia questions were. Well, you say you did wonder. I did wonder. Okay. But I didn't do any clicky scrolling. Well, where, does that, where, all right, where does that leave us now? Uh, well, that leaves me now with four answers. Okay. And I'd like to know the questions. Now, have you... I oh, know. What I'd they, like to are know Are these is, your answers? Or, the, or are, the, are these the answers that Hockey Australia had on the page? These, these are the answers that Hockey Australia had on their page. Okay. So you're looking at... what? So you want like a the Jeopardy TV show that this is the answer? What, what is the question? I want the best what is, four questions. I mean, I don't care if they're the right questions. I just want the best four questions. Okay. All right. So you're putting it out there. I'm putting it out there to any of our listeners. Okay. And, Do you um, want to give I'd, us the answers first? Well, I'd like to take a prize on it too, Matt. All right. Now, um, I'm, I'm looking around our vast studios here. Um, the clown. Did you bring, did you bring clown? 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 Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, he's one of yours, so we'll. Uh, Oh, we no, we could no, we could do a deal with clown. I think. Do you, do you think the giveaway could be the uh, a sign sign clown signed by both of us? Signed by both of us wearing the two hats with, with two hats attached from so. the fiscally responsible product. That's, yeah, I, right. I think we can make that available as a prize to the person with the best answer. Well, sorry, the, the best, best questions, questions Jeez, to God. these answers. Okay, uh, if you are playing along at home, good luck. Okay, question number one. The answer? Sorry, answer number one. Wait. No, you're saying answer oh, okay. number one. Oh, yes, okay. We really thought yeah. this gig out, didn't we? Okay. Answer number one is three. We need a question whose answer is three. Okay. That's good. question number one. Answer number one. Answer number one is three. Answer number two is 234. Two hundred thirty-four. Two thirty-four. That's answer number two. Now, John, should we just you write re- the question? Re- recap on question one and two, just in case people are grabbing a pen or a pencil or trying to get the memo memo app okay. open on their phone. Answer one is three. Yep, three. You write the question. Answer two is two hundred and thirty-four. Two hundred thirty-four. You write the question. Answer three is. Eleven. You write the question. And answer four is false. Oh, I thought it was going to be numerical all the way then. Oh, uh, no, no. Throwing a false. spanner in there. Uh, false. Okay, so go through them again, John. Number one. Answer one is three. Number two. Answer two is 234. Number three. Answer three is 11. And answer four. Answer four is false. There you go, folks. So if you want to get those answers into us, if you're a Patreon subscriber, you can do that direct through the app. You can support us on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash the reverse stick. Um, but through the socials, email to you direct, John, john at the reverse stick.net. That's it. Uh, Twitter, John Lee Hockey. 
uh, what Facebook is just John Lee. You yeah, can send thousands a, of them. Any way you can search. possibly send a message, do it. We want to hear your answers, and there is a, um, a signed clown up for grabs. Oh, I'm not on Woo! Instagram, though. What, what a give, you don't worry I'm about that. I'm on WhatsApp, aren't I? Yeah, I'm on yeah, WhatsApp. Yeah, don't, go, don't you give your phone number out. No, 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 no. I won't do that. Uh, well, that's about us, I think, John, for this week. Had some fun. Nine, mentioned, double seven. Mentioned uh, before uh, I jumped on the hockeytoday.cc chat on Facebook last night. Very enjoyable. AD Locke and Mark Hagar on there. Bit disappointed that Ernst didn't ask the question to Aidy about uh, how excited I was going to be about what look he was going to be sporting. How was the hair and the beard going to combo going to match up? It was up? looking pretty smooth beard wise. Well, it? it didn't it look like isolation. No, beard. reserved. I I put it out. I'll, I'll yeah. score it as reserved. But um, yeah, that was a re- really great chat. FH umpires, lots of stuff going on there. Umpire chat, player chat, coach chat. Um, lots of super stuff happening lots online. Who would have thought Keely would be doing a lot of chatting? <laughs> but Thomas Brail's on, on tonight oh, yeah. so if you haven't caught it live then uh, that'll be available to play back as are all of the fiscally responsible pro league games and uh, nights of sheer pure hockey dice joy John I do have just before we go have a great hockey week folks I don't think it'll be too long before we're back in action hold tight and stay safe um, no seriously mate PowerPoint I open the PowerPoint Hashtag Hockey United. Hockey United? Hashtag Hockey United. And what are we uniting? Hockey. Hockey. With a hashtag? Yep, bringing them all together. Hashtag it. All the hockeys. All around the world. All the hockeys around the world. We're united. We we love you. Bye. About these FIH financials, John, I just, um, oh, disappeared. Oh, maybe, oh, maybe it was Invisible Ink. Oh, well, all of these pages are blank, Matt. Must be Invisible Ink. So maybe you got it upside down. Oh, hang on a sec. Wait a sec. No, we've got a final entry here on the back page of this one. No, just a final entry. Hmm? It's sweet, don't worry. Very good.